0: On Gesundheit with Jacobus this Saturday morning, I will interview Dr. Robert Linden, board-certified in geriatrics and internal medicine. After retiring early 2008, he wrote a book called The Rise and Fall of the American Medical Empire, a trench doctor's view of the past, present, and future of the U.S. healthcare system. Agree with him or not, Dr. Linden will give in-depth views into today's pharmaceutical and insurance industries, hospitals, medical schools, malpractice litigation, and government programs both here and abroad this Saturday morning from 8 to 11. Thank
1: To Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio, integrating allopathic and all-natural medicine one show at a time.
0: Here is your host, Jacobus Hollowine. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. It's great to be with you. It's a wonderful, wonderful show. Chuck is laughing. We had a little mishaps right here, but my goodness, Chuck, I'll be there. Good morning to you. <coughs>
1: Good morning. You work so well under pressure. I was, I am amazed, just amazed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we lost our guest, I don't know what I pressed, but uh, he, we lost him, so we had to get him back while the music was playing. Dr. Robert Linden will be on the phone with me, and we're going to be talking about his book, "The Rise and Fall of the American Medical Empire," and I'm sure that you're going to really enjoy this. So. Um, Stay tuned, hopefully till 11 o'clock. We hope you can do that with us. Let me tell you a little bit about the program. Uh, First of all, that is always important. We are talking every Saturday morning from 8 to 11 about health, healing, and healthy lifestyles. We do it with the experts, give them a chance to chat about their profession or a topic of their choice, and then give them a chance to really dig deep for three hours and talk about the details. As always, when we talk about health healing and healthy lifestyles, I highly recommend that you keep in mind that we are here to educate, entertain, and inform. We're not here to diagnose, treat, or cure. We always recommend that after the program, you see a specialist or physician of your choice and read more information about the topic at hand so that you will just be totally up-to-date and can do the best for yourself or for somebody close to you. So once again, I appreciate you tuning in today. So Dr. Linden, uh, on December 31st, uh, 2007, Dr. Linden walked away from primary care, internal medicine and geriatrics and from his career treating close friends and neighbors. It was a difficult decision but he was tired. His practice of medicine had come first for over 30 years, his family second and he himself third. A strong need to reconnect with loved ones and to re-energize his own body had developed. But along with this burned with this burned, the desire within to impart a behind-the-scenes knowledge garnered over time by this small-town doc concerning the massive problems emerging from and percolating within the American medical system, thus the reason for the rise and fall of the American medical empire. Along the way, he came to realize that guilt was present as well. He had retired at too early an age. So for patients across the country and friends nearby, this book is for you. Dr. Robert Linden received a BA from Cornell University in 1971 and his medical doctor degree from Cornell University Medical College in 1975. He performed his internship and residency at the University of Tennessee in Memphis, board certified in internal medicine and geriatrics. Dr. Linden is also a fellow in the American College of Physicians. He has three grown children and resides with his wife, Karen, in southeastern Connecticut. His book book was an award-winning finalist in the Best New Nonfiction category of the Best Books 2010 Awards, sponsored by USA Books Book News. He is also winner in the current events category, of the 2010 Next Generation Indie Book Awards. Uh, There are several ways where you can reach him. He is on Facebook. Go to Rise and Fall of the American Medical Empire. And uh, the book is brought out by SunriseRiverPress.com. SunriseRiverPress.com. You can go to that website and find other books that are very good, and you can order the book from there as well. The book is available locally. I do know that Borders... On nineteenth, uh, Borders has a s- bunch of copies available. Uh, I think they're running about eighteen ninety-five or so. I highly recommend you check it out. Read, you learn a ton. And and uh, for we have so much to talk about. Uh, Dr. Linden, thank you so very much for being with us this morning. How are you doing?
1: Oh, very good. Thanks, Jacobus, for having me.
0: Well, you're very welcome. And I'm glad we've had a chance to chat a couple times before the show. And uh. I just I'm just uh, amazed uh, with the information that you have there is so much to talk about and and I've been doing all these introductions i I'm just curious can you tell us a little bit more about you you say indeed in uh, in the introduction I say you retire too early um tell us a little bit about what brought you to write
1: this book well you know my 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 background actually like you summarized, it really impacts the way I practice medicine and and wrote the book so i'll i'll spend a little bit of time if i have the time to kind of go over that i i grew up in uh in new york state in rye new york which is on the border of connecticut and new york yeah and attended public high schools there and then and, and basically a town very similar to where i am now in southeast connecticut both in size and, and population um went on to like you said cornell university in upstate new york uh I had a family lineage back dating back to 1914. My grandfather had gone there. My, both my parents. Yeah,
0: five generations or so. Right,
1: right. Yeah. and uh, <laughs> and and I really want to go there. And and I, I got in and 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 traveled up to Ithaca, New York, where the where the university is. And I loved it up there. I I you know basically rode crew for four years. Fraternity life. Worked very hard. My SATs. My my high school tests weren't quite what the other people at Cornell were, but basically um, I worked very hard you know, in high school and, and, and got in, and I and and I enjoyed it. Um, there was a tradition at Cornell undergrad where, I, and I didn't realize this when I joined the crew team, but my grandfather had been a coxswain back in 1914, and I wanted to row. I'd never rowed before, so, but there actually turned out to be a tradition where Cornell Oarsman, one Cornell Oarsman went to the Cornell's Medical School in New York City every year. Yeah. And although, again, my QM average was nowhere near what the other people that went from Cornell undergrad to Cornell Med was, I, I got in. Welcome, uh, congratulations. And, uh, the problem, however, and that started my whole entrance into the medical field, is the problem is I love, like I said, Cornell undergrad, bucolic, countryside. Uh, the medical school is in New York City, and it was in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, which is a very wealthy area. The, and the main teaching hospital for Cornell Medical College was New York Hospital, which was a large private hospital catered to the rich and famous, the famous movie stars, things like that. And the people that were admitted there weren't particularly sick, or or they had very esoteric diseases like lupus and scleroderma, things you would not see in the real world on a right. uh, common basis. That's why I want to be a primary care internal medicine physician. So I spent my four years there um, really not enjoying it and, and really not considering that as a continuation of Cornell Med. But thank God. I I had I met this person in undergrad, um, and actually you appreciate this. He's a Dutchman. He was His name was Bill van der Wright.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, I saw his was, name.
1: He was yeah. born in the Netherlands. His family had moved to Canada and then to Long Island. He yeah. was a year ahead of me at Cornell, and I met him when I was a freshman on the crew team because I rode with him. He was in my fraternity. And um, it was interesting that he, he, midway through our undergraduate career there, fell in love with this girl next to him in biology class, and her name, another Dutchman, was Kirby Van Brocklin. Yes. And Kirby was the daughter of Norm Van Brocklin. For some of the listeners who don't know Norm, he was a famous football player, played for University of Oregon, went on to quarterback to L.A. Rams and Philadelphia Eagles, and then actually became the first mm. football coach for the Minnesota Vikings. And, and uh, Norm had moved to Atlanta for the Atlanta Falcons to coach there, and that was the time we were in medical school, um, actually an undergrad. And, and Bill, when he graduated, went down to Atlanta with Kirby, and I used to visit him every year, and he entered actually Emory Medical College, uh, and um, and I, uh, down there I actually took a five week rotation my fourth year in Cornell Med down there, and and their teaching hospital is Grady Memorial Hospital, a very large inner city public hospital. The patients who were really sick. They had the con. They were underserved. They're you know poor, but they had the diseases you see every day in yeah. private practice you know yeah. diabetes hypertension heart attacks lung disease the stuff that i was going to treat so when i finished cornell med i actually decided to head down south and i applied to emory in atlanta where my friends were and also my advisor said you know you're crazy going down south nobody from cornell in a really arrogant way he said nobody from cornell has ever gone to internship south of Duke. But mm. if you want to do that, there's <laughs> another program similar to Emory's at the University of Tennessee. So I applied to both of them and ended up at Tennessee. A little bit of a shock. It was about four or five years after Martin Luther King was killed, and it was still a quite segregated city mm. versus Atlanta, which was relatively cosmopolitan at that point. I think there are only two Northerners in my whole internship class. Person from Wisconsin, Michigan and myself, and they took me over under their wing. They called me in one day and said, "The other intern said we're going to, you know, turn you into a southern redneck in three years." <laughs> but, but it didn't happen. But it was a great experience because the city hospital again was an inner city hospital. It was one of the last welfare hospitals with wards. You know, twenty, thirty people per room. Patients were just separated by, you know, thin curtains. But I learned a lot. And um, and and the other great thing about the place was that basically the head of medicine was a Gene Stallman. and Doctor Stollman was famous at that point for all his work in rheumatic fever and the cause of rheumatic fever, which was Group A beta hemolytic strep yeah. uh, coming from strep throats. And but the other thing about him was he, he was the ultimate in bedside clinicians. I mean, he was basically brought everybody to the bedside and would teach us: eighty percent of your diagnosis should come from a comprehensive history. Ten yeah. percent from a hands-on fizzle exam, and maybe ten percent from uh, testing. And if the testing—if you order the testing that didn't agree with your your assessment by your history and fizzle, you threw out the testing. And I really—you well, know—you you
0: mentioned that real quick. If I interrupt you, but when I was reading that, that just caught my attention. Uh, when right. uh, when when this doctor was doing that, this because. It is indeed missing. There is a certain intuition, maybe, that you combine with your knowledge, your book knowledge, and there is the intuition and then there is the connection with the patient. And it sounds to me that this doctor is really showing you, showed you how to connect with the patient and and get a reading out of what he or she is telling you. And then what you say, indeed, if in doubt, take a test, but if you don't like the test result... Kinda of throw that out and go with your
1: guts. Exactly, and and it almost always worked, and it really got you closer to the patient. Number one, plus you know you get you get led down the primrose path with tests because you know the history is the most is the most important key to solving a medical problem, yeah. and not a test, and 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 so. So basically, I left court, you know University of Tennessee after three years. My I finished my residency, and um, and actually that Gene Stolman, actually I, when I was writing the book, I wanted to, I just I figure this man was dead and buried years ago. But I I started to go on to, to the internet looking for him, and sure enough, he's still kicking. A real still a rebel wow. uh, lives up in outside Dartmouth. Apparently, there's something. Outside Hanover, New Hampshire, where Dartmouth is called Iliad Institute for Lifelong Education at Dartmouth, and these are like fifteen hundred to two thousand people who retire to the Hanover area specifically for to stimulate their minds. Uh, there are retired physicians and lawyers and veterinarians, and and they teach each other. They give actually courses just like Dartmouth course a trimester, and they teach six, six classes a year on a trimester basis to the other people in Iliad and about what they've done in their life and, and other things. And so he's up there, 89 years old, still wow. teaching. Wow. Um, amazing. Amazing guy. His mind yeah. is just sharp as could be. Um, and just uh, to really, again, like I said, a giant in medicine and still is. Yeah. And uh, so I really, you know, from the, from the sick people I saw, from the hands-on medicine at Tennessee, Cornell practiced a lot from the back, back pocket of their pants they cited literature new england journal and JAMA, and stuff like that but as far as really hands-on medicine on sick people it wasn't at cornell but it was the tennessee and i really learned to take care of the entire patient there so after three years at tennessee that's know internship i mean residency is for internal medicine i got back together again with a friend of mine who i met at cornell undergrad who we wanted to open up a practice together um and we, um, you know, basically with our wives started to discuss where we want to settle. And you know, Dave Thompson, my partner, to be, you know, first said, "Let's go back to Ithaca." Well, I know you guys out there, in Montana, <laughs> wouldn't flinch at this.
0: Yeah, but little there cold. was a week
1: my. What? It
0: was a little cold over there.
1: Yeah, yeah. There was a, there was a week my freshman year where it never got above twenty five, below zero, and I just said, Dave. I can't do that the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, I, I could do that as a young buck as a, as a, as a college student, but I, for the rest of my life, I can't do that. So I said, okay, let's go to Ann Arbor, I mean, uh, actually, um, Bar Harbor, Maine. Well, that was where his father had a, a summer home. And I said, that's even worse. I mean, it's in the northern section of Maine, and it is really cold. Yeah. So I said, let's let's hop in our car with our wives. We'll, we'll drive along Connecticut's coast, which is somewhat temperate, and... And it gives me the water to row, and it gives you skiing if you go a little north. And and it, and, and so we drove through Fairfield County, which is a really wealthy area of Connecticut, which I didn't want to settle in because it was too much like Cornell. And we yeah. took the first two hospitals after Yale, which were Lawrencema Hospital in New London, Connecticut, and, and Wesley, Rhode Island, and felt the New London Hospital was much better. And so we picked out South, Southeast Connecticut, started looking for towns to settle in. Doctors are funny, you know they'll. So even though an area needs doctors, you go to a doctor and say, hey, I'm here, I want us to practice, you need doctors in your town. And they go, no, but they need doctors over there. Yeah. <laughs> and so we went back and forth, back and forth, and finally found a town in East Lyme, Connecticut. And the, and the internist said, you know, we need doctors here. And then when I found out the town, the high school, public high school, had a rowing team. And at that point, back in the 70s, there was just a handful of public high schools with rowing. Um, I said, "This is obviously the chosen one has picked this town for for us." And yeah. so we settled in the southern, the northern, uh, the southern part of the town, which is called Niantic, and we've been here ever since. And um, opened the practice in 1978, and I, I was a board certified internist. Ten, ten years into the practice, I had sort of a soul searching period where I was, you know, as we'll go through probably a little bit when we get into the what's happened to primary care medical schools really sort of dump on on primary care physicians. You know, they they looked down upon them. were called LMDs, local medical doctors and and I even don't like the word PCP, which stands for primary care physician, but yeah. but uh I was tired of being called an LMD and I wanted to sort of develop some you know, improve my credentials, so to speak. Um and so I basically they they when when internal medicine has a new subspecialty and in this case it was nineteen eighty eight geriatrics treatment of older older patients um, they'll let people who have not taken the fellowship, it's another two- or three-year fellowship, but if they open up the, and start the, start the new specialty, they'll allow doctors in practice already who have, do a lot of that specialty to kind of sit for the test with the people that have just finished a two- or three-year fellowship. So yeah. I did that and became board-certified in geriatrics. At the same time, there's a academic group called American College Physicians. It's an academic group for internal med, internists, and they have a... A stratification. You could become a member, and then a fellow. To be a fellow, you have to do a lot of research and public, publish um, papers. But yeah. they had just started a new track where you could actually, if you taught doctors, if you were involved with teaching, and I was because I was, you know, I was writing a newsletter for our hospital on pharmacy. When I was head of the pharmacy committee, and I was on our risk management committee of our medical malpractice company. I was going around the state teaching doctors about malpractice and holding seminars, and so I presented that information, became a fellow in the American College physician. So between those two things they sort of satisfied my need for credentials, knowing internally that I was just not an LMD that I could probably be hired by any academic medical center in the country. Mm. Um, but I still loved primary care medicine and and, and we stayed in, and, and pra- I practiced in Niantic up through uh, 2000 to 2007 like you said. Um, 2006 came and I was starting to really tire out. I mean, medicine, as we'll go through in a little bit, Especially primary care medicine is is getting tougher and tougher. And what happened was, I I'm compulsive, and I closed my practice. I mean, I had a we took a third partner in 1984, and then by the time 19 uh, then then 1988 came, and we took our fourth partner, and I would, my practice was gigantic and overflowing, so I closed my practice after 10 years to taking new patients. Yeah. Um. But you know, with my education, in Tennessee taking care of the whole patient. And I found that subspecialists weren't helping me, you know, as probably you found and probably a lot of the listeners have found. Subspecialists get into the procedures, you know, that, you know, if you're a GI guy, all you do is turn out those colonoscopies. If you're a cardiologist, you know, the cardiac cast, but they sort of lost lost the knack a lot in in, in different, you know, going to the bedside, taking a good history and physical, and, and making a differential diagnosis. And so I didn't feel that. They were helping me any any on that, so I really did most of my my stuff myself. I, I couldn't do colonoscopies or cardiac cath, but I kept people in house, and I really did most of the care of my heart patients and my lung patients, and my diabetics myself. And yeah. what I was finding was that these patients were getting, you know, basically as they got older. When I started practice, my patients were 40, 50, 60 years old, yeah. but now thirty years later, they were, you know, seventy, eighty, and ninety years old, and where they yeah. started with two or three diseases, now they had ten. Mm-hmm. And they're on 15 medicines, and, yeah. and the day was getting longer and longer. So I was considering looking for a, a, somebody to replace me, but we had, for a variety of reasons, not, not anything to do with me, we had looked in the journals with ads over the last 10 or 15 years, and every time we put an ad in for a, a new person, the number of uh, the, the, the people answering the ads, the quality just started sinking. You know, less and less people were interested in internal medicine. Their credentials were very questionable, oh, and uh, huh. you know, we didn't we didn't take anybody. So, so, but somehow somebody fell into my lap. Uh, you know, my my partner that I started the practice with, again, he had a patient in Niantic who had friends in Ohio. And um, one day, about six or seven years ago, the patient came and said, "You know, we have friends in Ohio, and their son's in medical school. You might want to call them." And my partner started, you know, started a conversation with him on the phone once or twice a year. And finally, in 2006, he called me. And this guy had great credentials. He's magna cum laude at Case Western Reserve, did medical school in Ohio, I was finished up at Cleveland Clinic, one of the one of the top three or five academic institutions in the country. And he he came visited a couple times and said he wanted to join. So. Basically, I stayed You know, he came September two thousand seven. I was planning actually to work through June two thousand eight. We can. It's an interesting story on that. Um, let's. Let, what I,
0: I, I want to hear it because I just uh, I just love listening to how you explain everything and okay. you're involved. Well, we, but yeah. we're, we're going to hit a short break here. So when we come back, uh, let's let's continue with that. Okay. 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 All right, folks. You are tuned in to Gesundheit with Jacobus. I'm your host, Jacobus Holloway, and Chuck Martell with us in the studio, and Dr. Robert Linden a retired medical doctor who wrote a great book, The Rise and Fall of the American Medical Empire. We're going to have so much more to talk about till 11 o'clock. Hope you you stay with us. We are going to be right back.
1: Keeping a finger on the pulse of health research. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus every Saturday morning from 8 to 11.